You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Yes, yes, yes. You're listening to Music Biz 101 or more on Brave New Radio. I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp, not along with Dr. Esteban Marconi. He is unavailable. He is on assignment today. Instead, I am with a student co-host at the University of William Patterson. Her name is Kate Elsa Shands. Kate will be speaking in just a moment. But before we get to that whole part, and before we get to our guest, Suzanne Berg, the manager of advocacy and insurance at Music Health Alliance, we need to give thanks. We're going to give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Tima Likes Music, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent, Kiss, Zach Brown. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when you're ready. And we want to give thanks to Christine Uy, they, a wealth manager at the Forefront Group. Christine has helped professionals all over the world manage their investments, plan out for their retirement. When thinking of building a British financial future, think about the Forefront Group and go to Christine at Forefront.com. For, by the way, is the F-O-U-R version. Managing Your Band 7th Edition is out now. And also, once again, the University of William Patterson's Music and Entertainment Industries program has been ranked one of the best in all the nation, in all the world. Actually, it is all the world. It's not just the it's all the world. So please be aware of that. And now, we're going to begin the full program along with guest Suzanne Berg and Kate Elsa Shands of William Patterson. So Kate with Suzanne Berg, why don't you take it away? Yes, yeah, so we're here with uh, Suzanne Berg who currently works uh, for the uh, Music Health Alliance in Nashville. And she's here with us today to talk to us about her uh, experience in the music industry. So uh, Suzanne, where did you start your career and how did you um, get there? I, I started it in college, but um, my friend from the seventh grade told me, I leaned over to him one day and said, I am going to be working with artists and taking them around to radio. 
I don't remember that, but he did. He told me about that. But no, I went to um, Central Michigan University, and at the time, it was it was a really great broadcasting school, and um, a lot of alumni that graduated when I did. You know, one's running um, the news at the at the network, and the other one's like you know head of you know, formats at some of the um, radio um, conglomerates. So um, it was it was a really good experience. And, um, you know, there I was doing TV and and radio and I wanted to be a news director. And I met this woman. We had this organization called AE Row, Alpha Epsilon Row. And I met this woman and she worked at CBS. And I said I was going to maybe move to New York. And she said, when you do come see me. And I did. And I moved to New York. It was kind of sketchy at that time. I mean, it was really a long time ago. And um, and I went into her office and she's like, I gotta go take a meeting, you know? And she handed me a phone book. So I called every person I knew and I lined up two interviews and she thought that was cool. And so she introduced me to the, um, the GM of CBS FM who introduced me to a woman by the name of Lori Pinkerton, who was working at the United Stations Radio Network, and they hired me. So I was putting together the weekly country music countdown with Chris Charles. That was my first job, a syndicated radio show. I never knew you worked like on, so you were on the radio, like, um, no, I put the show together. Behind the scenes, put the yeah, show he together. Was, he was, he was doing the, um, the country countdown and I, you know, I put the show together and, um, yeah, I was right out of college and then I spent a couple years there and then I knew I wanted to do promotion. So I, um, it, it was all about networking. You know, yeah. I can't stress enough about networking. And um, so I got to meet some people and I went to go work for this small avant-garde jazz label called Gramavision, which was distributed by Polygram at the time. And um, I spent a couple years there and through networking, um, I went to go to Electra. And after a year there, I became a VP of promotion and spent almost 10 years there. Uh, what would your uh, role at Electra uh, entail? Like, what did that, uh, what did you say, VP of? Oh, well, first, first I came in as director of artist development and, and AC promotion. So. Um, it was a lot, but I, you know, I got to do all the ticket buys. I threw all the parties. I threw all the, the after parties and, um, it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. And then, um, and then I just did strictly promotion and then I got promoted, I think within two years to VP before I was 30. So I was the first female, um, vice president of promotion at Electra. And, um, yeah, so it was, it was a lot of fun. It was great. And all of that before 30, that's crazy. Um, so at Electra, uh, while you were there, um, uh, you you moved to Universal, correct? After that, after your uh, job right. at Electra? I spent, yeah, I spent 10 years there and then I think 12 or 11 years at, at Universal. What I When I was at Electra, I, um, I, I actually broke a record um, called Unforgettable by Natalie Cole. Um, it was a record she did with her father. It was the first time they had a hologram with her and, and her father um, for the video. And um, the producer of Tommy LaPuma went to go work at GRP. And um, GRP was distributed by um, Universal. So he went over there and he called me and he said, I want you to come over and you know run our promotion department. And I did. So I left Electra and went to, um, went to GRP which then became Verve. 
Let me ask you a quick uh, question because mm -hmm. I think this will be really interesting for our, our listeners and for the students here. Um, you mentioned breaking a record and it was mm -hmm. Natalie Cole's Unforgettable, which was a gi gigantic hit. Talk about what you did because uh, it's maybe, I don't know how different it is today or not, but talk about what that meant to break a record. Um, and this is 1990, 1989, 1990. Yeah. I'm not trying to date you, but yeah, I, no, no, it's, it's, okay. um, it, it's, yeah, it was, maybe it was 1989. Um, it was very different back then. Um, today is completely different, but, um, but back then, so I was um, VP of a new format called Adult Formats, and so it's right when they created the um, the AAA chart, you know. And um, so, what I ended up doing is um, I got the single, and I had to lead the way. So I went to radio with this record that kind of didn't fit any formats, and um, and I had a one week debut of. 16 and then took it all the way up the chart and I had to keep it alive like I had to keep it going at radio week after week because we spent a million dollars on the Natalie Cole video which had a hologram of her father and so it was really important we spent a lot of money first time I think something like that happened and um and so that came out in May and then I think around August that's when it went to top 40. So for about eight or nine months, I kept that record alive, you know, at radio. And so when you say you break something, it's like you take, you take the project and you help guide it through like the other formats. Today, AC radio is not the same as it was. There was a time there when I was there that it was actually breaking records. Like I broke Kokomo by the Beach Boys. And that one, that one I kept alive Oh God, for many, many, many weeks. And then a programmer down in Tampa by the name of Mason Dixon, he decided to pop it on the air. He was at a top 40 station and the rest is history. So he actually did break that record. And that helped because that was part of uh, which movie? Was that the Tom Cruise movie? Yeah, that was. So the movie Cocktail. came out, it was called Cocktail. That's the it. movie came out and it was in the theaters for about three weeks. <laughs> and then it left. And then we were working Kokomo and um, and uh, Fabulous T-Birds um, single and um, EMI was working Bobby McFerrin. And um, it was so funny because with all that airplay going on, it brought people back in the theaters to watch the movie and the movie had a whole different run after that. So, and, and, and that record and uh, the Natalie Cole record and the Tracy Chapman record all sold 6 million units during that time. So you were hot for a while because Tracy Chapman, we're talking about Fast Car. Mm -hmm. um, there's the, uh, that, that uh, Natalie Cole, Unforgettable, Kokomo. Uh, what was the Fabulous Thunderbirds? Was that uh, Tough Enough? Yeah, tough enough. That was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. And so that went to rock radio that had a video. So it was at that time, you have to understand like MTV was, you know, had been around what 10 years and, and actually really meant something. And, you know, it's very different than today. You know, today, the AC format does not break records. It's just another format. And radio is very different. You, you know, today, it's, it's, it's just, it's just different. I was just trying to think of, there was one other record. Oh, like Linda Ronstadt. I worked this Linda Ronstadt record. She had, um, she had, we called the trilogy. She had, um, she put out these jazz records with um, 
Nelson Riddle. And um, I didn't, I don't think I realized it at the time. And I realize that now that there was a lot of pressure on me to, to bring her back to the pop world. And so I worked this record and, um, but the cool thing is I sat in a, I sat in a senior staff meeting one day and Krasnow looked at me, that was our chairman. And he goes, so Susan, what do you want to do? I go, let's do a promo tour. He goes, okay, I'll call and get the jet. So for two weeks, we took the Warner corporate jet around and, and worked with, and, and at that time we had, you know, I think we had 18 people in the field. So we went to each market where we did sales, promotion, publicity, you know, and, and then we'd hop back on that, that cute little jet and we'd go to another city. So they, they don't do that anymore. So, um, but it's, it was, it was a lot of fun and it was different and the timing's different. And I think at, you know, after I left, Electra and then went to Verve, it also was changing. And when I left Verve, that's when, you know, the whole digital world started happening. So that it went through a whole different change. And even today, it's even gone through a change since then. Yeah. Um, so you were right on the cusp of that technology change, correct? So you were like, that's crazy. So yeah, did got, you leave I, I, right when that happened or was it kind well, of after or it was it was kind of I mean it started to happen. Um, you know, I did what was the blue room? I did something with Diana Crawl with WXRT. You know, it was just it was like in its infancy. And then and then I left, I think when was that 2008, 2007. Um, but I I caught the tail end of the great part of being in the record business and then and then you know right at the very beginning of when it started changing yeah you missed all the chaos right because that's what everyone says is like the the crazy part of like right now is music music history is right there that crazy change that went on from radio well, to online stuff exactly before i went to grp like people well, what's grp when when everything switched from albums to cds GRP was right there at the forefront. So all their all their artists were available on um on CD when when that happened. So that's where they made all their money. And um so that was that was also another interesting point. So you mentioned um Verve before too. So that was another merger that you were um when you were at Verve, there was a merger with Universal, right? Or yeah, I think when, when I was at Electra, um, and and it all and we were just talking about this before, it all depends on who's taking over who. And yeah. so when I was at Electra, um, East West came in and took us over. And it's, you know, it's really hard when you have to go through that and you, you have a department that, you know, you're playing with people's lives. And so what you try to do is, you know, everybody wants to keep their people the best that you can and it literally goes right up into that last minute until until everything is decided i mean things can change just so quickly and then at at verve when we went through um universal took over polygram so mm -hmm. we had to merge with verve so grp took over verve and it was kind of interesting because you know you got to i got to keep my staff and then where there was like a hole or an opening you could take someone else like one of the, I was so happy the um, the guy that did promotion at um, at at Verve, he um, Bud Harner, he ended up. We loved him. Tommy loved him so much that he um, he made him A and R. 
So he actually, you know, it was just, it was a really good fit for him. But when you go through merge or, or restructuring, I went through many restructurings. Um, it's hard, you know, because you're playing with people's lives and, you know, you want to keep your, your team together. And so it's all, and it's all about negotiating. So you just kind of have to keep your head level and negotiate. Um, when, so passing the merger stuff, what was your, uh, like, I don't want to say responsibility or your favorite task to do, but like in your job, um, like I'm sure you had a lot of responsibilities. What was like your favorite thing to take care of? Like these promotion parties or the specific rate, like putting the radio together? Like, I think, yeah, taking a, um, taking a project from putting a budget together and, you know, starting it, um, and, and watching it go through, you know, hopefully you're going to work a couple singles and, you know, everything, everything connects. I mean, that's what, that's what you hope for. And that's, that's very exciting. Can I, you, uh, walk us through what going through one of like a whole like progression of, um, a project looks like like where do you start and where do you finish like how, well, this, how long does it take like yeah well this was a long time ago i mean today it's yeah. very different so um but at, at that time you know you you have the a and r department and they create a record and hopefully they'll share it with you and get you all excited great a and r guys that's what they used to do they used to get the departments all all excited and then you go into meetings and you work out a budget and um do a PL and you got to figure out everything and then and then you put it together. So and then you plan the single and you plan the single. What we used to do, and it's completely different now, is we like to be way out in front of the album to help the album. I mean, today is different, you know, how they release singles, what a single is, um, how they pick singles. It, it's it's completely the opposite it was when when I was doing it. And so you pick a single, you get your budget, you figure out what advertising you're going to do. You, um, you know, um, if you hire um, extra people to help you out, you know, you get all that together and then and then you release the record, the single, and then you work it, which means you call radio and you have local people in the markets and they call radio and you have as many people as you can and you work out promotions. Like today, it's completely different. Did that answer your question? Yes, for sure. Um, hey, can, can I just can I just throw one thing in? Because sure. she used a term a term I don't think people know. Oh. You mentioned the term P and L. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what a P and L is so they get that? It's a profit and loss. <laughs> so what do you? So you put well, you put the whole thing together and like what's your profit and what's your loss, and then you you have numbers and it, it creates this whole number. I mean, so it, and that's what you go by. And then they'll go, okay, well, we have to hit this number. And so this gives us this amount of money. So we're going to give you this amount of money. We're going to give sales this amount of money and this amount of money. And then as you sell and it, you know, then you get more money. So it's just, it's, you, it all starts at the very beginning of putting a project together. So every, every record that you see out there, there's a budget behind it. And um, they have goals that they have to that they have to meet. And so, you know, but like I said, today it's it's completely it's completely different. You know, they're going by streams and and everything is digital. Also, it's terrestrial too. You know, especially in country music. You know, terrestrial radio is still really really important. 
let me, I'm sorry, one, oh, just one final thing. I'm, no, I'm sorry, Kate. I'm not trying to That's talk okay. over you. Um, I wanted to, to um, going back one step to when uh, Universal bought Polygram. And, you know, Kate, you were using the word merge a lot, which at the time, no, there's nothing wrong with that, because at the time that was a very sensitive word, because on the Polygram side, it was not a merge. On the Universal side, they were saying merger. And that was a very nice way of them saying, we just bought you what we say goes. And so they just kept saying, I remember one person in particular, I, I was there at Polygram when Universal bought it. I was one of the people who survived. A lot of people I worked with did not make it through that. And so all the Universal people kept saying merger. And we were it was almost becoming a joke in, in the division that I was in because they just kept saying that. And then they would blow more of our people out of there. So um, it, it just the uh, where I'm going is it's interesting how one word can have two different meanings depending upon, as Suzanne was saying, which side of the story you're on in that case. And Suzanne, you smiled at one point. So I'm thinking, uh, were you going through that term? Yeah, as well? I mean, when, when I was at Electra, I mean, we were fighting for every person. And, um, and it was um, our head of top 40 and myself, Ron Gregory, we were we were negotiating every minute. I mean, you're there, you're fighting, you're negotiating. And we're in the meeting that next morning. And um, the head of promotion of their GM came in and he said, nope, that person's out, this person's in. And we just looked at each other and went, oh, you know, it's the, it's the most heartening thing because you're dealing with people's lives. And usually, you know, people bounce back and maybe it's a good thing. And, 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 but it's, it's really difficult. I think after that merger, um, no, it was actually it was actually after the Polygram merger, um, which we we thought of as a merger, but it was still you had to combine and and with Polygram and Universal, you're talking two different cultures. You're talking a different you know system. Everything is different, and you have to merge two different cultures together. And um, you know, to it, it, it's just it's the craziest thing. And then you have to learn how to deal with it. And it's, it is, it's a lot of negotiating. It's a lot of fighting. It's, um, and I don't mean, I don't have my gloves out and I'm not, you know, fighting anyone, but you have to make your case. And, you know, and so after that, I was so exhausted that our head of sales, we went shopping. <laughs> you know, it's like, what do you do? You go shopping. Well, I still have the coat that I bought that day. <laughs> that's so funny that's such a me thing to do actually <laughs> um but um oh sorry i lost my train of thought now um what were some of the traits that you specifically thought that people were looking for like if you would say like what were was it really just the luck of the draw or was there specific people it's that like, you thought stuck since, out or yeah since we were taking over so you know it was my promotion department and so where there was a hole, I was trying to fit it. Or if someone wasn't working well on my team, you know, you could switch out. So it's just, like I said, it's a lot of negotiating and trying to figure out who would fit best. And, you know, and in some instances it can work, but, you know, it's really sad because you're going to lose people. And like I said, you're playing with people's lives and it's, it's not easy. And even going through restructuring is not easy. You know, that's when they come and they say, okay, you have to get rid of 10 people. 
and then it just becomes like a head count. They're not real people because, you know, they're looking at it on paper, but us dealing with it, it's a real person, you know, yeah. and that person has been with you for 10 years and, you know, has children and, you know, I've, let's say I've been there 10 years, maybe they've been there 30 years. So it's, it's complicated. Like, like right now what Twitter is going through, that's going to be really complicated. Also, uh, Discovery, now it's the, the company uh, that uh, owns CNN, it's Warner Discovery or just whatever, Their, CNN is cutting a huge percentage of, of people, you know, in their quote unquote restructuring, so. Well, the thing that I find really odd is he came out and said, hey, we're restructuring, we're going to fire a bunch of people, deal with it. And usually you just kind of know it's going to happen. It just always seems to happen you know, going into the Christmas holiday. So, um, you know, so I can start the books off normal. I, I think that was my only, I, I kind of don't know if I thought that was such a great idea for him to come out and say that, like directly. Right. But Kate, to, add, to go back to one of your comments or questions sort of a, a little while ago about um, during the upheaval of the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, when the CD was going away. That's when, and uh, Suzanne and I were still at then Universal at that point, that's when there were restructurings happening like yearly. Every year there was a restructure because we were losing revenue and we had too many people. We became too fat a company for a, a very an industry that was becoming very slender. So they mm -hmm. kept constantly having to restructure. You were always on on guard, you know, like every year. Well, plus what happened when the 90s, like everybody, like if if you were at a label, oh, I want to start my own label. So there are all these labels out there that eventually just merged back in. And so, you know, you had, what were they? Um, well, you had Virgin and, um, oh God, there were so many of them. And, um, and, you know, they were doing well, but it just as time changed, you know, they would disappear and just merge back into, you know, whatever company they were distributed by so it's, it's off to merge right back in Pardon? <laughs> break off just to merge straight back in yeah i mean and and like i'm saying there there was like a three four maybe five year period where there were a lot of labels out there and then they just slowly started disappearing i mean david you found that at that time correct yeah like um when i was interning at polygram in 89 90 um they bought island records then they bought a m records and then uh those were two at the time gigantic indie labels um island and a and i think between the two of them they were bought for like 700 million dollars or something and then um when i was at polygram a couple of years later we bought motown which had been distributed through mca but we basically stole motown from mca then we started distributing Maybe it was Def Jam, uh, which had been distributed through Warner. Um, no, through Inter either Interscope or one, one or the other, but we had started distributing Def Jam. So Polygram started getting bigger and bigger, um, but we still weren't big enough. Um, and MCA ended up uh, buying Geffen Records and they were getting bigger. Um, and th then it was just sort of like big fish eating little fish and then you went from six giant big major labels down to five. Uh, Universal bought us. Uh, Sony and BMG actually did merge. Um, 
And then you had EMI, which ended up being the smallest of all of them at the end and the coldest until they, uh, Universal in 11 or 12, I guess, bought EMI, but couldn't buy all of it and had to sell off some assets and Warner bought some. But now you have just the big three, basically. Well, and and when I was at Electra, um, at the time of our merge, we, out of the three, I think we were making the most money. And then the company disappeared in 10 years. And then it became an imprint. And then I think the last six years, I think they're they're now an active company again. And signing, like they have Bruno Mars, they have they have a really great roster. So, I mean, and when I was at Electra too, we we launched Asylum that went, that stayed for about 10 years and then that went back into an imprint. Do you know what that means when she says imprint? Kate, I was about to ask that. Yeah, explain what an <laughs> imprint was, is. Because we, we had that with A&M became an imprint basically. So explain yeah, it just what means like, it, like there's no staff. I mean, you can still put records out on them or they were, maybe they'll switch over. I mean- yeah, we had when we had Verve, we launched Verve Forecast, and some people didn't want to go on Verve Forecast. They wanted to stay on Verve, and then that went away. You know, so when I say it goes away, you can still it, it still can be released on Electra. It just there is no staff. It's it's being worked by um, someone else. Like I think I think Atlantic was working all the Electra stuff. Mm-hmm. I think when um, and I could be wrong when when Electra went away. Does, I think they were for a while. Yeah, yeah, they were yeah. for a while. And then, yeah, they keep, and this kind of stuff just goes back and forth uh, as well. And she mentions Verve Forecast, which was an offshoot. Tell me where I'm wrong, Suzanne, with this. Was, Verve was a traditional jazz label, generally. Verve Forecast was supposed to be sort of the uh, CD 101.9, you know, sort of the smooth jazz-ish, or was that going to be more the folk label? The Americana and the problem with that, and I had a cow, is that you can't take three brand new artists and put them out back to back to back within weeks of each other. You just can't. At least at radio, you can. I mean, sales is different, but at radio, you can't because, you know, a lot of these stations, you know, like a WXRT at that time, I mean, I think they were playing 20 currents. Do you know what currents are? It's uh, for a radio, like when you listen to the radio and you hear a song over and over, they have like, it's it's like your top 20 at a radio station that um, are new records. And then once it peaks, then it goes into like recurrent. So that will come back. But you have like, you have a small list and some of these stations only had like seven spots, maybe some had 20. And so if you went to them and said, hey, you know, do you like this record? And they're like, yeah, I want to play it. And you're like, okay, great. They give you the ad. You can't go back to them the next week and go, hey, can you play this record? Because they don't have room for it. So I think that that was the demise of, for me, that was not a great thing. We weren't able to do, I think, as good a job as we could have at that time. Uh, Just too many, too much at once, per se. Yeah. And, and then, you know, like I was in Bali when they, I told them not to really, because when I was, I can't believe I'm telling you this. Um, when I was at, um, God, it was, it was, when was that? 2007 or 2006, um, Natalie Cole came over to Verve and we put out a record and it was um, Daydreaming, you know, Daydreaming they gave you and um, produced by Dallas Austin. And um, 
we had taken it to urban radio. I think we were at top 15. And I said, and I went, I went to Bali at the end of August and I said, do not release this single to AC radio. And they're like, why? And I said, because they're going to go all Christmas in like a month. And so they're like, oh, well, I think we should. And this, and I go, do not do that. I got a call in Bali when I was having dinner. Um, we're going to release that single. I'm like, please don't release that single. Please let us go at the beginning of the year. And they released it and the record died. But she did win a Grammy for that. I love Natalie Cole. Um, one, but, one more thing, just to explain again, when uh, radio goes all Christmas, explain uh, what that means in radio it's terms. It's mostly the AC stations. And if you want to get a record, uh, let's say you have a Christmas record and there's a gazillion Christmas records out there. Oh, I think it was just, well, there's something else I was going to say about Spotify. But um, so when they go all Christmas, they have um, they have a list of all the songs you can play or they have songs that, you know, they'll tell you you can play. And um, you have to have that in by summer, you know, unless it's like a super, super big artist. And um, so what happens is, and there's a handful of stations that shut down the first of October, they go all Christmas. And then as the month progresses, they keep going. And so before you get to, you know, November, a lot of the radio stations, that's all they're playing is Christmas music. So any record you had working there is going to go on the side. And, and if it's a strong record, it'll come back after Christmas. And if it's not, it'll go away. So you don't launch a record, you know, that you're really caring about like four weeks before that, unless it was just not the right time to do that. Yeah, that explains a lot. We uh, talked about that in our personal management class uh, last year, I think, Philip, with, um, uh, Shoot, his name is not coming to me right now, but that's okay. Um, and what were, what were you trying to learn about that? Um, no, just when to release for personal management. They were uh, figuring out when to release, uh, when's the best time to release songs, if that makes sense. Today? Today, yeah. Um, no, it was oh. last semester, but uh, we were learning with uh, DSPs and how Spotify also does the same thing. I heard you mention Spotify too, because they release yeah. their... Um, curated Christmas album. So if you send them your stuff, it's less likely to get onto curated playlists. Yeah, and it's it's about relationships too. I mean, it, it's like shifted before it was on radio and, and you know, but like MTV there, and now it's shifting and you have all this digital. I think, didn't ESP. I just read that? I think Spotify gets 80,000 records a day. Anywhere from that to 100,000 yeah. or something yeah. uploaded. Every which day. is crazy yeah. it's crazy and so when I was working with some of the young artists here too you know and when I kept telling them they needed to release a lot of content so this one person they kept releasing singles and I'm like no you can't just keep no. releasing singles I'm talking about so if you release a song then you know have a video that you can follow up with and maybe have a lyric video or I mean this was a couple years ago or maybe you know have this you know just keep keep it going until it doesn't go anymore and then you can change your single you know because it's just people like oh well, I heard it it takes a long time for it to become familiar enough where you know and that's why like country country does it the best right now I think you know that's all they they focus 100% on country and they yeah. focus on their fans and they focus on their artists and they focus on radio yes 
I have a few questions about what you're doing recently. So sure. um, about uh, the company that you work for now and um, what that's all about, because this is the, you are the first time that I've ever heard about um, the uh, Music Health Alliance. Yeah, no, I'm, um, when the, the thing about Nashville is that a lot of people, um, it's, it's a very, it's a very interesting city. It's very hard to break into and everyone is involved in organizations. And when I got here, I wanted to do a lot of charity work. And so, you know, you're trying to find the right charity that's right for you and you join organizations and it's, it's, it's really networking here. And, um, when when I left my company, I started my company because I had a lot of family stuff that I was dealing with and I needed to be able to be mobile. You know, now it's completely different, but at that time it wasn't. And so I'm I like work better in a group. <laughs> so after that, that's why I went to um I went to iHeart. And then I still I needed to, and I was doing sales there, but I I still was missing something. I wanted to give back. You know, I made a lot of people a lot of money and now I wanted to help people. And it was, I was talking to um, our CFO there and um, I was calling on behalf of a friend of mine's daughter to see if I could get an internship there for her. And she slightly mentioned that they might be having two openings. And I was like, oh my God, would you consider me? And they're like, well, we can't afford you. I'm like, yeah, you can, because it's not about that. It's about this. And mm -hmm. so the cool thing about this company, it was started 10 years ago. We're, we're going into our 10 year anniversary this year coming up. And um, uh, the founder of the company, Tatum Alsep, she, um, she, had, um, she was in the hospital um, giving birth to twins and she had complications. And when she got done, she had a $500,000 bill. And so, you know, she figured out how to maneuver and, um, you know, she found grants here and this and that. And so she decided to start this company. And um, from that 10 years ago to right now, we have served over 18,000 music professionals, you know, any, any part of the music industry, not just singer songwriters. And, um, I think by the new year, we'll have saved a hundred million dollars in savings. So like at any time you donate a dollar, it equals $30, you know, in, in savings for us. And, you know, I have a bunch of clients and they're all really great. And I think that what really also happened, which is very interesting for where we are now is that um, through the pandemic, a lot of people you know, a lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of people lost their health insurance and it was really hard. And so we were able to help people get insurance, you know, help people that, you know, did have a huge, you know, hospital bill or something. You know, I just got, I just got one of my clients insurance and it's going to start in um, November and he thought he broke his ankle. <laughs> I'm like, he's like, should I wait? I'm like, no, 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 we got to get you in. And so, you know, it's just, it's really rewarding and really fulfilling and it's helping an industry. And, you know, some of the artists that, you know, Keith Urban's a really big fan, Dirk Bentley, Chris Stapleton, you know, those guys are, you know, they've donated money, they've donated their time and they keep all their people on payroll and with insurance. And so it's really interesting. And, and the Nashville community, is very much involved in us. And we work with Music Cares, we work with AC Lifting Lives, Opry Trust, we work with a lot of different foundations. 
That's what I was going to ask next. Is that a big part of your company is working out of Nashville? Because I know specifically I'm, um, I've been to Nashville a few times. My parents took me as a kid a lot and um, I love it there. Um, but it shifted in the past few years from um, like family owned bars to now like artists are starting to buy mm-hmm. bars. And a lot of the media wants to put it as like they're kicking like these family owned businesses out of like music row. But they're also adding a huge, um, I don't want, um, like a huge benefit to, yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, they're um, all very devoted to like different charities and different issues. Like uh, Blake Shelton has Old Red, Miranda Lambert has, uh, what is it? Um, Oh, her her, uh, her, uh, animal animal rescue. Yeah, so they're um, the these bars that they're buying and owning are going back into these charities that you um, see all around Nashville. Well, a lot of these bars are licensed, you know. It's so funny walking down the streets. I go, oh, I wonder if Miranda Lambert's going to be in there tonight. Yeah, obviously so, they don't run it, but I mean, like a lot of that revenue uh, coming into Nashville is going into, um, is going. Do you feel like it's going into more? Uh, philanthropist stuff or um do you feel like it's going more into what the media is making it into and buying family bars and ruining it's not necessarily (laughs) buying family bar well I think there's some the building the real estate's what's really I mean we just got rid of the Ernest Tubb record shop which was here when I got here 10 years ago and and that just left and so I don't know what it'll become so some of them have Got, put it this way, Broadway is very different from when I got here to where it is now, but Nashville's growing. It's growing so much. I mean, it's rents expensive. Everything is, in fact, you know, so you have what we call Broadway, which starts at the river and goes to Fifth Avenue. We now have a promenade, you know, which also has music and, and Justin Timberlake has his cabaret there. And, you know, everybody's coming in because, people want to come to Nashville. But the cool thing, which we just announced last week, is um, we're going to build a new Titan Stadium. And with that new Titan Stadium, it's going to be over on the other side of the river is going to come, you know, it's going to be this whole um, beautiful area where it's going to be shops and, and, you know, apartments, and they'll probably put another music venue and stuff over there. So when you come to visit, you can go to Broadway, which can get kind of crazy at times, or you can maybe go over to this new place over on the other side of the river. So to get back to your question, Nashville's growing. So that kind of, you know, artist taking over, I'm glad it's them taking over as opposed to something else. You know, um, I'm surprised they haven't done it before, you know, but it's timing, you know, right now is the right time to do it. And, um, and, I'm glad they just opened the first female bar, I think was Miranda Lambert. So mm-hmm. hope for, hopefully there'll be a few more of those and, and they'll still keep the cool places like Printer's Alley and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm hoping. So is the, I'm, I'm sorry, Go I ahead. interrupted. No, this is the Music Health Alliance, which you work for. Is that providing uh, group insurance plans for individual singer songwriters or people who have their own startups and can't afford to pay insurance how how do you guys because there was a great stat on your website that 76 percent of the musicians and people in the music industry in this country don't have health insurance so what are you guys doing for that because the people listening a lot of them are going to be needing 
this information very soon. So right. Well, you have to be you have to be in the music business for you know I think four or five years, and you know if you're an artist, you need to be putting stuff out, or if you you know work for a small label and stuff like that, you have to be in the business for a while. And we help people get insurance. You know, we know how to navigate and and help them. And um, and then we also advocate for them. You know, if something were to happen and they had to go in the hospital or, you know, they had a medical bill. You know, that's where here we we work with other foundations on that. And it 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 just really rang true over the like we had um, symphony people from New York and L.A. reaching out to us, and we're we're national. You know, we're just not, we're just founded here and everybody in Nashville knows, but, you know, Poly, or um, Universal, Sony, you know, they all, they have their, like their legacy artists work with us and stuff. So it's just, it's, we're branching out and more people are getting, no, we can't branch out too much because we have to grow with them because, you know, it's just like, we're going into open enrollment next week and it's going to be kind of crazy, but um it, it just feels so good to help help somebody that, you know, a professional that is your peer and help them maneuver this. Because I know that when I had my own company, that's how I also found out about it, is they helped me get insurance because I didn't know. And and it's hard, it's hard to maneuver. Yeah. So for those of you guys listening, um, let's say you work for the Universal Music Group. For, for example, the company is providing health insurance to you. They're taking some funding out of your, what they pay you every two weeks. Uh, and they're also helping subsidize the cost of your health insurance, whatever plan they offer that you're, that you're doing. But if you're one of the artists who, work, uh, who records for Universal Music, you are not an employee of Universal. You're just a, a recording artist. You do not have any of that health insurance. So you either go without because you're not thinking of it and management isn't telling you you need health insurance or um, you're clueless and you're trying to figure this out. So that's Suzanne, one place where you guys come in. You mentioned the legacy artists. So if you were a member of the Temptations in the 1960s uh, and your catalog is still through Universal, you might be 78, 79 years old right now and you might not have access to any health insurance and you're at that age, things are breaking down, you need medications and all that. You desperately need health insurance. So Suzanne, that's where you guys come in. Right. Think of it as like their concierge, you know, we get back to them, you know, and help them. I mean, I mean, think of all that they put so much effort and, and time and energy into their career and helping people, you know, making a music available. And so we're here to help them, you know, and I think that's, that's what drives me, you know, it's like, I don't miss promotion. Well, I, I do a little bit, but not, I, I enjoy what I do every day and we help people. And like I said, you really learned a lot coming out of this um, pandemic. You know, we also have been working from home too, you know, so it's, it's interesting and um, it's, it's just, it's wonderful. I can't say enough good things about the company that I work for. And um, I'm really glad that I do, and we're growing. I mean, we've already hired four new, three new people since I got there. I've only been there a year and a half, and we've already hired that many people. We're hiring more people next year too. What does your team look like? Who's um, like what? Like how many employees do you guys have? I think we have 14 now. Um, 
Tatum worked at MCA. She comes from the music business. Um, Sheila Shipley Biddy, who was, um, she's our CFO. She was, she ran Decca Records here and was the first female um, head of MCA promotion, you know, and, and, and it, it just goes right down, you know, some people came from the music business, some people did not, you know, some people came from the insurance side. I did not come from the insurance side. <laughs> so what was um, it like, um, like coming into a field that was so foreign for you? Because I'm sure you know on the music business side, but like from an insurance side point, it's, it's, like? it's, it's learning. I learn something new every day, you know, and sometimes I ask three or four times, but um, no, it's, it's, it's a learning experience, but that's kind of like when I went to um, iHeart, you know, I didn't know how to use Salesforce. I know, well, maybe I don't anymore, but I, I learned how to use Salesforce. So um, it's kind of like when you merge and you have to use someone else's system, but, um, but no, I mean, there's a lot of legality stuff you know we we need to know a lot and it's changing every day and you know luckily what just got passed um from the Biden administration um if you need insulin they put a cap on it at 35 dollars which is really amazing and we're very thankful and they also um kept the subsidies for the next three years so we're able to help people you know you know, maneuver and, and get them insurance because they're making it affordable. Yeah. Helping those who help us through music. Yeah. I mean, you know, let's, let's help them, you know, and a lot of people are on the road all the time. And, you know, it's like, it's like something will happen and, you know, and hopefully now then they're covered. And that happened too. I had an artist who, um, wasn't going to get insurance and he got insurance and um and had a heart attack three weeks later i mean think of all that money that was saved by having insurance yeah that's crazy and definitely in such like a stressful and not really i mean definitely if you're touring and moving not a very safe field you know what i mean like i mean if you're just songwriting or like not out on the road for sure safer but i mean the people who are traveling and on these huge sets well, also a lot to go wrong. <laughs> also, think about um, every once a year, you know, every every other year, you hear about some horrible um, bus crash. Mm. Uh, a band is on the road somewhere. Um, the the driver of the bus or the or the Sprinter van, whatever, falls asleep at the wheel, or somebody else falls asleep, hits the van, and um, you know, you hear about these people breaking backs and necks, and whether it's members of the crew or people in the band. So, all these people, if they don't have health insurance need it um and again suzanne is there to the rescue yeah no, also, i'm sure i'm sure from a mental health standpoint too you're doing long hours um on either on tours or anything else you know what that's I mean? the you one know? thing that that has grown so much and you know when when they had the um the mass shooting out in las vegas you know, I mean, it, it it really affected a lot of people, and you know, we were able to help facilitate and and help help people through that. And so, you know, that was really rewarding. And you know, you just don't get over something something like that. You know, you just don't. And you know, whether it's a bus crash or you know, I think Rebo long time ago lost like her her band and everything. I mean, you don't think it's going to happen. And that's when it happens, you know, so, so we're trying to get, you know, people 
health insurance and, you know, make sure that they're covered for them and their family. And you actually save money by not, you know, if you keep going to the emergency room, it's just creating more money. If you have insurance that will help cover. So, well, um, one, we need to go in about 60 seconds, but I don't know if you get uh, the uh, Bob left sets from the, you know, yeah, I, I don't know if you saw, he sent out coincidentally last night, um, a newsletter about healthcare, he called it. And oh, he wrote okay. about his personal coverage and He's lucky because he has somehow he has money. And um, he basically said uh, all of his doctors, he pays in cash because none of them take insurance anymore. And he went on and on. You should definitely read it and see what you think. Um, because he talked about for really good coverage, um, those doctors don't take insurance anymore because of the way our health system is. And this is probably a five hour conversation that I'm trying to condense into 30 well, seconds, but. Yes and no. I mean, I, I started reading it and I was, I, I read, I went to go see my favorite new artist, Jackson Dean last night and I got home. I didn't, I didn't feel like reading that, you know, I have to like, sometimes I save them up because sometimes he's just interesting. We'll just leave it at that. Um, and too much, but, um, you know, uh, some of the doctors are becoming concierge doctors now because um, it's easier for them and they can give people like one-on-one, -on -one. but then again, you're paying, you're paying to have concierge doctors. Um, a lot of therapists don't take insurance. You know, that's why we help with grants and everything to help, help offset that. But doctors taking cash, you know, unless he's talking about concierge, I mean, most most doctors take some form of insurance. Some don't, some might not take his insurance. Maybe they take another insurance. They just might not take his and then he's paying on a network. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I don't, I have to, I'm gonna have to read it because I haven't read it, but to go, having a doctor that where they only take cash, that's kind of weird. Yeah. Um his he starts the whole thing with a line from the Eagles, Life of the Fast Wing. The mm -hmm. doctors say he's coming, but he, but you gotta pay in cash. His first line of his is his is none of my doctors take insurance. So definitely read it and see what you think, because it's that's his whole thing is that. Yeah. Well, I'm just OK. And yeah. maybe maybe they don't. I don't know. But I find that kind of interesting. Yeah. Maybe he, they just don't take his insurance. Yeah, could be. Yeah, I'm not sure. But on that quizzical note, we actually yes. need to end. OK. Because thank um, you, Suzanne, for all that you do and for thank speaking you, to us. Yes, yeah. thank you, Kate, for setting this up. It was yeah. really wonderful. You're thank welcome. you, Kate. And thank you, David. And bye, everybody. I didn't get to meet everybody, but bye. Yes, thank mm -hmm. you, everybody, for watching. And thank you thank for you. MEO. It's our music and entertainment organization. They put this together. It's a MEO power hour that we had. And we just had a power hour with the very powerful Suzanne Berg. So thank you, Suzanne, for your power. Mm -hmm and your strength and you can she can by the way bench press 500 pounds we didn't get into that and uh for her ultra powerful physique my ultra power and my my scary dog my and the my scary dog Ryman. who was very silent this whole time i so. know he yeah. didn't even very make good. a sound he's yes. a yorkie who digs holes and chases squirrels so <laughs> so but he's uh, a southern boy southern dog probably barks with an accent so yeah he does at the end of every, so this has been the Music Biz 101 and more radio show. And at the end of every radio show, we do not say goodbye. Do you have a guess, Suzanne, of what we would say at the end of every radio show? See you soon. Very close. We say in many languages, we say, Adios!
ILDS. Twice contagious. Oh.